How Midwesterners Disagree, a short, short play by Tolomarts. Hey, Tim, great to see you at the bake sale. Want a sampler of the cookies I made? Only $5 a dozen. Ooh, sure. Are those macadamia nut chocolate cookies? Kinda. Give them a try. Sure. Uh, I, uh, mm, these, these aren't macadamia nuts, are they? No, that's the surprise. I replaced macadamia nuts with tofu. Huh. Much healthier for you. Really? A lot, lot less fat. Uh, you don't say. So, what do you think? They're really, um, different. Yeah, trying to be healthier. That, that they certainly are. So, you want to buy some? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I need to buy Rice Krispie bars for the kids. I'm not sure if I have enough cash for both. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I got a credit card reader for my phone. Have to live in the 21st century. Oh, that's, uh, that's clever. You know, they say you have to refuse something three times in the Midwest before the other person has to give up. The first two times are just being polite. They do say that, yeah. So, uh, so how about it? This could redefine cookies. I, I can't. It's uh, it's just that I'm, you know, I'm on this diet. Yeah, I, I wasn't really going to get any cookies at all, frankly. You know, tofu has surprisingly few calories. They kind of offset the chocolate, frankly. Come on, Tim. You're always up for an adventure. Um, I think um, I think Emily might be allergic to tofu. Ah, I see. And scene. Welcome to the Monty Hall Effect. I'm your host, Tola Martz. And I'm Tim Lloyd. And we're going to be reviewing the movie, or talking about the movie Annihilation today. And I wanted to lead off with that little skit to try to explain uh, briefly to non-Midwesterners. Uh, for those who don't know, Tim and I are both Midwesterners. I hail from the Twin Cities, and Tim comes from the greater Omaha Council Bluffs metropolitan area. And, uh, you know, Midwesterners, uh, you know, they just have a special way of disagreeing uh, that can be that can be subtle. Uh, and and I just wanted to set the scene because I think uh, we've made clear going into this movie that this was a movie that uh, Tim liked a lot. And it was a movie that uh, I found uh, frustrating and difficult on a number of levels. I wouldn't say that I hated it. Um, I hated Ad Astra. But uh but we definitely have a difference of opinion on this one. So uh, I just I just wanted to make sure people understood uh, where we were coming from culturally uh, as Midwesterners and that, and that the differences of opinion uh, tend to be tamped down uh, in the Midwest because I, I think it's because of the long, cold winters. It's the same reason that they tamp things down in Hawaii. Uh, Paul Thoreau wrote an essay about why everyone is so polite to everybody else in Hawaii. And the reason is because you're stuck on this island, and if you don't get along with somebody, if you really tick them off, you're going to see them again for the rest of your life, right? You, you literally can't get away from them unless you leave the Hawaiian Islands. And I think the Midwest has some of that, too, because, you know, you're going to spend six months in winter. You know, if you, if you live in a small town, you're going to be stuck indoors with the same set of people for six months. And so it really behooves you to, you know, get along with other people. And so I think that's our reflexive 
reflexive nature due to the long, brutal winters. That's right. I may I may be called upon to shovel your driveway at any moment, uh, <laughs> and so I can't tell you how offended I am that you don't like this movie. <laughs> and you know, I might be asked to loan you my two-stage snowthrower at any point. And so, I, you know, we just have to we have to figure out how to get past it because I want to be the guy that loans you that snow thrower. And yet, uh, I don't know. I, I worry that you might crash it into a, a tree or something or run over a tree stump or some such thing. So shall we set the stage for this movie a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, so Annihilation is a film for 2018 written and directed by Alex Garland. Uh, Alex Garland, uh, for those of you who listened to our first episode, was also the screenwriter uh, for Sunshine, movie we reviewed in that episode. It's based on a book by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, it is uh, The book is actually the first of a trilogy, uh, but at the time the movie was written, only the first book uh, had been published. Where do we start off? We start off with, uh, we start off with Benedict Wong asking uh, our intrepid protagonist what did you eat uh which is one of the stranger opening uh opening lines of a movie um can i just say by the way benedict wong is the go-to scientist now right in any movie uh he's either the scientist or he's you know dr strange's uh mystic art sidekick but usually he's the scientist and he's just he's doing it in everything now right he was of course in sunshine another connection to sunshine and then uh he was Probably his most famous non-MCU role is as the head of JPL's, uh, the JPL team for The Martian, right? For the Ares project in The Martian, which is a great role, which he's really good at. Yes, yeah, wonderful, wonderful in that. Um, yeah, and, and he uh, he doesn't do a whole lot in this movie uh, other no. than uh, stand in front of uh, our protagonist um, in a uh, full hazmat suit and asking questions so what is what is he asking about this is uh we start off with a little bit of a flash forward uh before we dive into the movie itself and uh he's basically saying well you you were you were inside for nearly four months what did you eat uh and and that's an interesting first question and we have to go figure out what it was that she was inside of for four months and as i recall she gives either no answer or entirely evasive cryptic answers to all of his questions. Every single question, without fail, either gets a blank response or or functionally no response, right? That's uh, certainly a theme for anyone who has asked any question about anything in this movie. Yeah, and, it, and it's even... I, I noticed that it's, it's part of my frustration. Like, I get... I mean, we'll talk about... When we get to the end of the film, that's... There may or may not be reasons why she's being evasive in this, but people are evasive even before they have anything to do with the thing uh, that that we're going to be talking about. The Shimmer. We'll just call it the Shimmer. And, like, there's evasiveness in her conversations with her husband. She's got some evasiveness or willing to take evasive and uh, evasive answers from her husband when... It, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but this evasive, this audience lack of satisfaction to these evasive answers, as you say, is a per, is pervasive in the film, and you either kind of accept it or you don't. I found it like nails on a chalkboard. It was really, really difficult for me, especially being a science person. 
you know, we're, we're trained to sort of observe things and take observations and then uh, provide those observations back. And lots of people in this movie don't do that at all. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, there's there's maybe maybe a couple categories of evasion. There's the that's um, there's the evasion of uh, I don't actually know what happened. Uh, there's the evasion of I know what happened and I'm not allowed to tell you. Uh, and there's the uh, I'm not going to tell you because uh, I am extremely embarrassed by it or um, it makes me feel terrible um, or otherwise I'm choosing not uh, to answer this thing about, uh, you know, cheating on one's spouse or, um, you know, other things that has, have gone on in, in someone's life. Um, but, um, OK, so I, I, I think there's a, I think there's a fourth category, which is. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to tell you because you wouldn't understand. There's a, I think there's going to be a number of times today where I think we have to sort of say there's a spoiler warning, obviously, for this movie. But I think there may wind up being a spoiler actually for Solaris because there's a number of thematic things in this movie that I think have in common with Solaris. And there's a scene in Solaris where Jeremy Davis, Davies says, I could tell you what's going on, but it wouldn't tell you what's going on. And and that's kind of a fourth category of evasiveness, like like man, you just wouldn't get it. Like <laughs> any answer I give you is not going to suffice because I I can't explain it in words that you would understand at all. Yeah, no, it certainly is. Um, and and Solaris, I think, is is a movie that that also came up for me uh, as I was watching this um, for the you know second or third time. Is it's you know it has. To me, I think it has that similar pacing. It has a lot of that sort of reflection on uh, relationships gone sideways um, for various reasons, uh, um, slightly different reasons in in the different films. Um, and yeah, this idea of like, even if we tried to explain what was happening, it, it just wouldn't make any sense anyway. So let's just not bother. Um, so what do we what do we know? What are we what are we shown at least on the screen? Um, is we're shown something falling from space uh, at the very beginning of the movie, and it uh, comes down. I want to say it's somewhere on the Florida coast, maybe somewhere on the on the Gulf Coast of, of America, and it uh, whatever this is falls from space, hits a lighthouse, and we see this little tiny sort of rainbow-looking explosion. Um, not the sort of thing that you would expect to see um, from anything falling from space. Uh, so, you know, if you have a an asteroid that manages to make it through our atmosphere, uh, it's going to be a big one. Um, if it doesn't blow up in the atmosphere on the way down, or if it doesn't melt or just sort of fall apart on the way down, um, it's going to leave a crater. It's going to leave at least maybe an explosion in midair, like over Tunguska um, back in was that the early 1900s. Um, but no, this is a very small, small object. Um, so that, that by itself sort of gets gets my attention and says there's something slightly unnatural about this, um, that it makes it all the way down and find its way into the lighthouse um, and doesn't just blow it to bits. Although it was pointed out to me recently, you know, those of us who live in the Pacific Northwest know that SpaceX had a uh, booster. It was a booster, right? Or a primary stage, first stage that came uh, down? Second stage. Second stage. Second stage mm -hmm. that came down. And I had never really thought about this before, but of course anything that actually reaches the ground is going to have reached terminal velocity, right? Mm -hmm. And terminal velocity isn't actually that fast. Like we always think of things coming in really, really fast. We think of things coming in at, you know, thing, things that reach, they go down through Earth's gravitational well or coming from someplace else are typically doing at least 20 kilometers per second because that's the, 
that's the physics of it. But, uh, you know, for anything that has slowed down in the atmosphere, like pieces of a SpaceX uh, thruster, they're going to hit the ground at terminal velocity, which for most things is somewhere between, you know, 80 and 150 miles an hour. But but this thing clearly has, as you point out, there's a there's a shimmer uh, going on here that, that yeah. tells us that this is not uh, your average bolide. Right. Yeah. Nor nor is it a, a chunk of, um, you know, let's say a second stage rocket, um, which, you know, presumably this thing is coming from deep space, from interstellar space, um, or, or at least interplanetary space, and so it has a lot, a lot more velocity with it uh, as it as it comes to comes to Earth, uh, as opposed to, I mean, even this the second stage rocket, which is presumably started off at just orbital velocities around the earth which are a lot lower than than what you get from an interstellar vehicle um so uh after this little bit of scene setting here uh we are taken back to johns hopkins university right um where uh professor natalie portman is uh giving a uh very intro level uh sort of like hey hey guys here's a cell here's what cells do and it turns out that this uh, very introductory lecture is is sort of a Hollywood trope of, I'm really a very advanced professor, but we're we're talking about biology for the audience. Um, I think I would hope that a uh, the very first meeting of a med school class is not going to introduce them to what a cell is. One would hope at Johns Hopkins. One would hope, yeah. Um, I'm not a doctor, but I would I would at least hope that. The doctors that I go to see uh, have a good understanding of, of what those what cells are, um, but we quickly learn uh, through some some exposition and some awkward small talk uh, with a coworker of hers, a uh, very handsome looking coworker of hers, uh, is that um, her husband has been uh, has has vanished. Uh, he's been gone for a year, and. No one knows where where he is. He maybe had, you know had some sort of covert assignment, uh, but he hasn't come back, and, and she feels bad about it. So she's yeah, he's, he's supposed to be some sort of special ops kind of guy, right? He goes he he goes on missions where for long amounts of time where he can't tell anybody where he is, and so she, that's the life that she's used to, sort of a thing, right? Right, and and we we slowly learn that she was also in in the army uh, with with him. That's where they met. Um, and so it's a sort of a life that she is used to a little bit, like you say. Um, but we never really learn much about what what his specialty is or what it is that, that he does or what his, his, his particular troop does uh, other than it's the army um, and he's handsome and he goes off and does things for a while and then comes back occasionally. And he's played by Oscar Isaac with a with a very interesting accent. Could you could you place his accent at any point in the movie? No, but I, I can't. He's one of those actors that is... He's got kind of a chameleon presence to him. I mean, he can... Uh, I often find his characters to have not been from a particular place, but the Oscar Isaac place. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think he he comes off as, as being sort of somewhat vaguely Southern for a little while, um, depending on what stage of the movie he's in. But uh, so where's, um, where's he actually from? Uh, is, is he one of them foreigners? He's... Uh, Oscar Isaac is, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, he's a uh, Guatemalan American actor. Ah, okay. Uh, born in Guatemala City. Oh, all right. And uh, see, I, if you had told me he was Israeli, or if you had told me he was Persian, or if you had told me he was Malaysian, or if you had, t- I mean, I, I would have believed any of those things. So Guatemalan American, sure, okay. I mean, he's just he he has. Uh, 
you know, there's a universality, I guess, to his acting that does not come across as being a particular, coming from a particular place. So, thus his accent as well. So you were saying? After after turning down uh, an invitation to a garden party, um, our intrepid protagonist, uh, Natalie Portman, goes home to repaint her bedroom, uh, which is, uh, you know, one of these sort of like stages of grief kind of things of, okay, it's been a year it's time to just do something new, right? Uh, and right in the middle of repainting her bedroom, who should appear uh, but the long-lost Oscar Isaac? Uh, but it's pretty pretty quickly clear that something's wrong. Something, yep. he is not the man that he was. And so there's some, there's some questioning, and now we get into one of, uh, one of these Q&As where there's just like, there's no answers. The answers are vague. Um, it's not really clear where he's been what he thinks what he knows how he even got home i I thought about having our little humorous intro being me reenacting one of those scenes with one of my stuffed animals one of my favorite stuffed animals from childhood uh, because i'm pretty sure that brown bear could have done a decent job of being on the other end of it although i probably it would have been better to have recorded a i don't know uh statement and just had i don't know answer to everything which seems to be uh, either silence or I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Two, two preferred answers. So, uh, so this uh, rather frustrating conversation ends with Oscar Isaac not feeling well, uh, bleeding into his water glass, and we've never ourselves. a good sign. You don't want that. You really—that's uh, not a good thing. So, unspecified thing is wrong with him. Ambulance is called, and uh, lo and behold, before the ambulance actually gets anywhere, it is waylaid by. Uh, shadowy men in black with lots of automatic weapons and uh natalie portman is knocked unconscious and wakes up in some sort of prison cell looking place being observed by jennifer jason lee uh, who was in charge of this super secret facility Uh, is she in charge of the super secret facility or is she just an, an agent of whatever shadowy organization is running the whole thing. She, um, you know, that's a good question. The, um, that's how I t- kind of took it. Um, I also read, read the book. So I'm trying to not, uh, sure. not like put things that I read in the books, uh, into the movie. Cause they are different pieces of art. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she's in charge of something. She's a, she's, yeah. she's, she's a big, a big here. Yeah, yep, absolutely. She is and, one of the uh, people in charge. She is in charge. And, in perhaps uh, I hate to overuse the term uh, "drugged out" when describing someone's acting style, uh, but there are a number a number of scenes in this movie where people see, act as if they are pretty drugged out. Uh, Oscar Isaac, when we first run into him, and Jennifer Jason Leigh through most of the movie. Uh, subdued, be... subdued would be subdued. the midwestern way. You seem sort of subdued. Did you subdued. eat all those mushrooms? Would yeah. be yeah, you know, a, a conversation you could have. I think yeah, it, it's uh, she seems very checked out. She's very very flat affect uh, for most of the film, uh, and is also giving very much non-answers. Where, at least with her, at least it seems to come across that she knows something and she's not she's not telling anybody about it uh, for any reason. Certainly, she knows more than she's saying. That comes across very clearly. Yeah. So here we are. We have um, we're in this facility. Uh, it, it comes out that uh, they also have 
Oscar Isaac uh, in in the same facility. He was very ill. His organs are failing. Luckily for him, uh, Natalie Portman is a doctor of uh, oncology, more or less. Uh, I don't remember if she actually says it, but she, she studies cancer um, and things like organ failure and can presumably heal him if she knows what's wrong with him. So how to find out what's wrong with him? Uh, well, first we have to figure out where, where he has been for the past year. And so we well, I mean, we wouldn't have to, strictly speaking. Right. You could treat, you know, you, you could take a microscope, uh, you could biopsy uh, things in him and try to figure out what's going on. You could, you know, use the patient as presented in front of you. But, you know, certainly it helps to know the, the backstory and it helps our movie uh, to go explore the backstory. But sure. Yes. Uh, and and Natalie Portman staying behind uh, and and, you know reenacting an episode of uh, Dr. House MD or something uh, would be a very different movie um, yes. than, than going off and exploring the shimmer. Um, so what we get is, is basically, we don't really get much of an explanation of what it is, uh, but there's this thing, it's the shimmer. Uh, it's, it started at this lighthouse and it's slowly expanding. And this agency that Jennifer Jason Lee is in charge of wants to figure it out. Presumably, they want to stop it. She's explaining that it's just going to keep growing and will eventually take over states and countries and everything else. And we don't know what's going on inside the Shimmer nope. because nobody except for Oscar Isaac ever comes back. People, you know, think people go in, but they don't come out. Roaches, roaches go in, check in, but they don't check out. Which is from a. Were you are you old enough to remember those ads? I remember those ads. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. All right. So yeah, he's the only person ever to come back. So uh, existential threat seems like if nobody ever comes back from inside the shimmer, nobody really knows though. This movie plays around with you know lack of knowledge. Uh, uh, that's definitely one of the main themes of it. Along with uh, another movie that does that as well as Three Kings, right? Mm. Where it's really about what don't we know uh, about what's going on around us. That uh, so it, it, it's an interesting piece of of exposition um, as. Jennifer Jason Lee is explaining the shimmer uh, as much as as little as she does, um, you know, in in another movie or maybe with a different screenwriter, um, you know, you might see it explained more directly, right? You know, mm-hmm. this thing crashed to Earth and it's expanding and we have to stop it, you know, right. or you know, it's this threat and we're trying to understand it, but we don't really get much of that. It's just sort of like it's growing, it's going to keep growing. So <laughs> crickets chirping. So there it is. And they're um, sitting on the patio looking at it, right? Because yeah, their facility yeah. is like sightline, which if this thing is expanding, I wouldn't think having a facility uh, right near the Shimmer is a good idea. But, you know, what do, what do I know? So, yeah. yeah, and it's this thing and it looks sort of like uh, an oil slick. Like if you have a little layer of oil on top of water and you get a multi-hued effect going on, um, that's what the Shimmer looks like from the outside. Whatever the energy is, it's it has a uh, iridescence. Uh, yeah, sort of yeah. and it's uh, it, I mean, it's beautiful. It, it's um, you know, sort of the first piece of this this phenomenon that we see that is really um, sort of sets sets off this series of things that that become sort of more and more visually interesting and visually, um, in a lot of cases, beautiful as the as the film goes on. Um, so let's see. So uh, we meet uh, we meet the rest of the crew, right? Because of course, there's got to be a crew. Mm-hmm. You've got to assemble the team. To go to go in and, and do the job, um, and so we meet uh, we meet Gina Rodriguez, 
uh, Tessa Thompson and Tuva Novotny um, as the uh, the remainder of the the group of starts off as a group of four, uh, and then of course Natalie Portman volunteers to join uh, because she's got to go in and see what has done this to her husband. Again, it's sort of another place where this movie diverges from your typical science fiction or or, uh, or action film um, is that it is a it is a group of five women uh, who are going in who all seem capable and ready to do the things that they do. Right? They introduce themselves with their their professions, what they you know they've done before, and kind of why they're there a little bit. And there was a thing they were explicitly like they acknowledged that this is a team of women and wasn't it wasn't there a thing specifically in there about it's like well we've tried going in with groups of you know marines and that doesn't work so we want to try something different yeah and the you're right implication being that that all of the sort of special forces troops that have gone in have been all male uh troops right. uh and so this this case is um you've got basically a uh um so let's see here um gina rodriguez i think is the paramedic tuva novotny i think was a biologist maybe tessa thompson plays a physicist uh and then jennifer jason lee is the psychologist uh, and then natalie portman is the doctor um so it's you know they all they all have their their roles to play um but but of these natalie portman is the only one who has a military background as far as we know Right. Um, the all... only uh, the only one who knows one end of a rifle from the other, I think. Uh, I think yeah, from a background perspective. Although they um, they're all issued. Uh, I don't I don't really know much from guns, so they're but they're all issued some fairly large uh, automatic weaponry. Um, mm-hmm. A single single uh, single weapon each, though. Um, it's not like they're all packing multiple guns and and knives and stuff. Um, they each get a automatic rifle of some kind. And I have to say, I think they do the fact that this is an all-female group. Uh, they do a nice job for any of a, for anybody who's listening who thinks, "Oh, this is some kind of woke PC." But no, there's nothing. It's not. There's they actually do a very nice job. Uh, there's there's nothing particularly. Oh, I don't know what the right word to look for here. But there's nothing heavy-handed about the fact that it's an all-female crew. It's just it seems to make sense that. Uh, the military is, or the shadowy agency that's running this whole thing, is trying different things, and now they're going to try this group. And maybe it's Jennifer Jason Lee who who decided to make this happen. But I, I actually think that part of it was fine. Uh, yeah, right. It's not uh, it's not heavy handed. It's not um, it's not overly performative. Preachy. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's like here's here's what we got. We got this. Uh, just happens to be a diverse cast of, of women going in. Um, and so we'll we'll go and we'll do this. Uh, so so we head on into the shimmer, uh, and the very and you just walk in. You, you just, just walk. You just anybody walk in. just walk in. It's uh it's not it's not like uh, it's not like Mordor. Uh, you can just walk in. I I, ha- um, I have to ask my first glaring problem with this movie. The lighthouse is clearly shown on the coast, right? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. on earth would you not just take a boat and go along the shore? Why, oh why, oh why, would you not just, or even walk along the beach, right? Yeah, because you yeah. know, um, if you, it, you know, if I have the option of going, if I'm on, let's say I was on the west coast of Florida and I wanted to go to Miami, uh, I would, and I, I, you can either uh, walk through the center of the state and the uh, Everglades National uh, Park, uh, National Forest, uh, or you can walk around uh, the the perimeter and 
I mean, maybe this is a bad example because it takes a longer, it's a, it's a long walk to go around in that particular example. But I just, I don't, I did not understand at all why they went in, in the middle of a forest uh, and not just going along the edge, either walking the shore or taking a boat. And maybe you say, uh, oh, power boats won't work or something, or we don't know if power boats will work. You just bring oars, uh, have everybody go in in canoes, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just the whole thing. It was the first question that I had that seemed super obvious that the movie had zero interest in explaining or anything. It's like, nope, nope, nope. We're just going to walk into thick, thick, thick forest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, and like swampy forests too, right? Like, yeah. like we're, you know, we're, we're in the deep South kind of like, even, even in normal times, right? If you had, I don't know, no training in in sort of uh, bushwhacking away that sort of thing, yes. right? Yeah, you would probably want to avoid it, right? Much less when there's some sort of weird alien shenanigans going on, right? But be that as it may, they decide, nope, nope, walking through the uh, forest is is the way to go. So in they go, and going in see them right walk over here to the shimmer, uh, and uh, and then suddenly wake up in their tent, um, and it's I, I thought this was sort of a, a clever. Uh, sort of scene transition here because it's not immediately clear. Uh, right, Natalie Portman is, you know, she's dreaming of, I forget if this one is, she's dreaming of her husband or if she's dreaming of cheating on her husband. Um, but either way, she has this vivid dream and then she wakes up. Uh, I think tent. it was the cheating on her husband. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which which is a thing that she did. Yeah. Back yeah. before back before he went on this mission. Yeah, right. So that that, I guess maybe we can... We have to mention that, right? Because it's it's sort of part of where her her motivation comes from, right? For for saving him, um, right? It's not only it's not just that this is the love of her life and and her husband and uh, everything else. It's that is that she feels she feels this remote remorse uh, for what she's done to him. Um, at some level, we're not entirely sure how remorseful she is. Um, in a later flashback, where we're shown that she she calls it off and she you know tells. Uh, her um, her hot coworker that uh, he's you know she's angry at him and she's angry angry at herself so um, there's some of that um, but there's some motivation there um, but so I she kinda, dreams about that and then she wakes up Sorry. and she wakes up in a tent and I kind of like this because it, it's a uh, it looks like just like a regular you know the scene cut right um, you know you don't need to show a bunch of exposition of tromping through the through the forest as soon as you get in there you just um, but it turns out that it wasn't just a scene cut. It was a cut for uh, for our protagonist as well. They're all looking around. They're, they're packing up their tents. And they, and they realize that no one remembers anything that's happened over possibly the last four, three or four days, maybe, uh, based on the amount of food that's been eaten since they've, they've come in. Right. So, uh, so immediately we're, we're shown that like things are just not making sense. Now, the physical world as we understand it, the laws of physics appear to be operating at some level differently uh, inside the Shimmer than they do outside the Shimmer. Yeah. Uh, we're shown that, you know, the radios don't work, which is, a you know, not a surprise. Um, the uh, compass doesn't work. Again, not, not super surprising in this sort of science fiction-y scenario. Again, I have to point out, if you were following the shore, you'd be fine. But, you'd be oh fine. well. Yep, yep. Uh, and... We start to see these these biological things of interest. Uh, so we see these flowers growing on plants where they shouldn't be. Um, we we meet a uh, we meet a crocodile uh, uh-huh. that that tries to eat Tessa Thompson. A um, crocodile shark, 
thing. Uh, yeah, it turns out to be a sort of crocodile shark. Um, and, you know, we get some basic explanation, like you can't actually crossbreed a crocodile and a shark. Uh, and yet here it is. Here it's happening. Um, what with one being a reptile and the other being a fish, right? Uh, sure, yeah. Yeah, we, that, that would be a slight problem. Um, and, plus, yet, you know, and yet there's the evidence in front of them. Yeah. Can, can I also say, as part of their flat affect... Nobody seems to have a uh, urgency button. Like nobody has a turbo speed button. So <laughs> when they see their friend, uh, like uh, somebody's standing at the outside of a flooded house, and they get yanked into the house, and everybody just sort of stands around for a little bit. It's like, huh? She's got yanked back into the house. Like I will tell you, Tim, if I saw you, if I saw shadowy unknown forces yanking you into the house, I would spring into action. I would boldly go forward, especially if I was holding machine gun, which, you know, gives you some extra confidence to try to do something. I wouldn't stand there and go, huh. That was unexpected. What to do now? If Uh, if only I had a gun. Oh, wait, I have a gun. Yeah, or uh, military training. Oh, wait, Uh, she has that as well. Yeah, and, and you know, and especially coming shortly after, you know, there's like this, like, you know, every, everything seems a little weird, right? Sort of, you know, you would be on edge, or I would be on edge, certainly. Like, there's some strange things happening here. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Tessa Thompson disappears. And, and survives an encounter with a giant crocodile, by the way. I have no... That, that just seemed weird to me. Like, if I found myself... I mean, this crocodile is, what, 20 feet long? Yeah, it's monstrous. I, right. Like, I don't think you, you survive... Whatever, I just don't see how she survived at all. Like this is this is a point where, you know, the the movie starts getting a little dreamlike, and I I don't think it was the the director's intent to make it dreamlike in this particular way. But it's like, how on earth would that crocodile not have chewed her into a thousand pieces? Especially because we see later, uh, the crit- the the critters that we find in the Shimmer have zero compunction about killing people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, although they, you're right, but they behave a little bit. Uh, their motivations seem a little strange, right? Um, sure. You know, later later on, when the bear attacks, uh, it doesn't it doesn't eat anybody, um, right? It just it just sure. kills. Yes. Um, which is, you know, sort of not not typical behavior for for a uh, creepy skeleton bear. Um, yeah, but I mean, they, they go out of their way to, to, I mean, you find out very quickly, you see pictures of animals that don't exist in nature, right? There's yeah. a shot of some uh, sort of snake fish in the water that mm-hmm. don't look like any kind of fish that's ever existed. And this crocodile is is a hodgepodge of, of crocodile and shark. And you mentioned a bear later that doesn't look like a bear. It doesn't sound like a bear. It doesn't act like a bear. So everything's all topsy-turvy in this inside the shimmer. Yeah, somehow Tessa Thompson survives a uh, crocodile shark, uh, which is then uh, shot to pieces by Natalie Portman. They continue on. Uh, we get to learn. We get to learn some more about our characters. Uh, they all sort of have loss in their lives. Uh, Natalie Portman's sharing a boat with um, uh, character Cass Shepard, played by Tuva Nuvatni, um, describes how she lost her young daughter uh, to leukemia, I believe. Um, we sort of talk about that, um, sort of that that loss. Uh, we learn that Tessa Thompson's character um, has 
some some body image issues and and does some um, some cutting. The Gina Rodriguez character is described as sober, um, and and that is cynically described as which means she's an addict. We learn later on uh, that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee uh, has cancer herself. That's right. Um, in a sort of offhand description, um, it's a little bit later in the movie, I think, as, as she's being questioned by Benedict Wong, um, he says, you know, you know, she had cancer, right? And and the response is, uh, I, I, you know, I sort of guessed. And so it, with that sort of statement, I have to wonder, like, does that is that just the kind of thing that like an oncologist would just say, like after after having spent uh, an unknown quantity of time in the swamp with someone be like, hmm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this person has cancer. I bet you oncologists are very good at uh, knowing which people are having side effects, certainly from chemo, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, different cancers have different uh, affects on on your, you know, they present differently for symptoms, but chemo has a certain, you know, there, there's a certain, uh, I don't even know the right word. Uh, it, it can, it can fog your brain. That occurs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mental and physical Mm -hmm. uh, diminishment in the same way. You know what? In the same way that Frodo was diminished after being stabbed by at Weathertop um, and slowly started to fade and really even by the end of the movie was still not okay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, you know, chemo, chemo does that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we, uh, we find our way to uh, an old army base and, and we're told that uh, this old army base is actually where the, um, this uh, Southern Reach uh, station used to be uh, before the shimmer grew to where it is today. Uh, so we get a creepy old abandoned army army base, which is always a good place to be. Southern and Reach was the base, was the shadowy organization's base. That's a yeah. It's never really explained what it is or uh, if it's a part of the U.S. government or whatever. But it's right. uh, it's the Southern Reach. Again, I mean, yeah. their main base should be like in Langley, Virginia, right? Like a thousand miles from the shimmer. And you could have an advanced station, but you know you wouldn't you wouldn't put all your smart people and, and stuff right near the shimmer. But whatever, that's fine. Sure, sure, yeah. Because it's not like this thing is is behaving. Uh, you know, maybe its growth is. You know, they've been observing it long enough that they can observe the growth rate and say that it's fairly steady. And you know, you can at least stay a couple of months ahead of it. Um, but again, it's this crazy thing that fell from space. So who knows what it's going to do next? Exactly. Who knows what it's going to do? I personally would have the headquarters be in Langley, Virginia and not, not right there in Mississippi or Alabama or Florida or wherever it is on the Gulf coast. Clearly it is the Gulf coast, but I don't know where on the Gulf coast, who cares? Uh, so in the old army base, we find, uh, we find exposition. Um, we find a, uh, SD card left behind, uh, from, someone's camera from the previous expedition which was where uh which is where oscar isaac was and we get to see this sort of creepy found footage looking thing of oscar isaac in the dark poorly lit cutting open the belly of uh, one of his uh, teammates somewhat with his teammates permission uh for whatever reason and uh to show off the context is unclear it's yeah. There's it's it's the kind of thing where it's like it could be, uh, it could be something out of you know, out of the jungle of apocalypse now, um, where like it's it's all a fever dream and nothing really seems real, um, or or who knows. But what we do see is that there's some weird stuff moving around inside 
this guy's belly. This is our first real shot of like, okay, this is this is messing with people. This is messing with the people that have come in, come in, and and maybe this is one of the things that happened uh, to, right. to Oscar Isaac. If you were, I mean, one of the other obvious things that's crazy about this film is that they walk in wearing without any kind of biohazard bio. Yeah. Uh, interface gear whatsoever. In that way, it reminded me of uh, oh, the stupid latest Aliens film, Alien. Uh... Was it Covenant? Covenant, yeah, yeah. So uh, remember how on in Covenant they go to a new planet and they all walk out of their shuttle without any kind of bio containment gear whatsoever at all, and promptly are immediately infected with horrible, horrible uh, spores. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. It's the sort of thing where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Why would these people be going in without any kind of biocontainment? And and we don't get a sense that any of the previous groups went in without with with heavy biocontainment. You know, hazmat suits or level four biocontainment or whatever. Right. You could you could basically build. We've talked about spacesuits in the previous episode. Right. You can build spacesuits and you can mm-hmm. have people. Now they won't last very long. Uh, in terms of you can't have it be entirely self-contained with air and scrubbers and stuff like that and have it last very long. But you can at least start that way or you can filter the air coming in. You can make some kind of effort to uh, keep whatever's going on biologically around you from getting into you and would in the real world. Especially, Especially when the one guy who comes back, his body is failing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you like think that's there's at least a biological thing. Yeah you, yeah, you need to protect yourself against something. Right. Um, yeah. And if they had if they had worn hazmat suits going in and for whatever reason had to give them up or they weren't working anymore, or they got torn to shreds or whatever, I would totally get it. But like, oh, gee, the thing that's mutating uh, crocodiles and sharks and fish and snakes and bears, uh, it's going to mutate humans too. Kel Suprice. Mm, yeah exactly um yeah and in, in a way this uh this movie reminds me of um the uh the recent marvel tv show uh wandavision um which uh have you seen wandavision yet i know the gist of it yeah okay so i won't spoil it but but yeah there's a very similar kind of setup of uh you know shadowy government agency uh surrounding a semi-impenetrable barrier um and in order to go in, right, you have to take certain protocols, uh, and I think actually they uh, they do they do better by that in WandaVision, um, <laughs> at least. Some and they do in this do. movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we have a certain amount of evidence that Alex Garland may not know very much about science. I mean, you and I certainly both liked Sunshine um, as a movie. Uh, we thought it science was fine. They also mm-hmm. spent a bunch of money on it. I just, I just didn't get the sense that anybody involved in this movie understood how the government would actually respond to a biohazard event like this. Like we might actually see in our lifetimes a probe come back from uh, the Jovian system or from Mars or whatever with potential pathogens on board, right? And I'm sure. I mean, the movie that's actually the gold standard for this is, I'm sure you've seen, The Andromeda Strain. Of course, right? yeah, yeah. Which is a great, 
great Michael Crichton early in his uh, career um, on on the protocols and and procedures that we would take in the event of that. But have you seen, I, I don't mean to derail the conversation, have you seen this paper somebody just wrote about uh, the, ev- the the visual evidence for spores on Mars or mm, for no. fungal nodes? Yeah, there's these guys and I don't think they're, I mean, I think it got published in a non-peer-reviewed journal. I think it was mm. a, uh, I, I think it was some, some dubious um, publishing, but there is some interesting visual evidence of like sequential images of the surface of Mars with some things that look like puffs that have gotten larger from one from one picture to the next. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like sooner or later, if we find something like that on Europa or uh, I don't know, Enceladus or any place where there's potentially liquid water, you know, it'll raise the question of bringing something like that back. And I, I just, science people, I, I mean, we all know politicians can be short-sighted, but science people will be so incredibly careful, right? Um, just the whole thing of even with Oscar Isaac coming back, the, I mean, we don't know how he got back or, or the, you know, the circumstances around it, but, you know, the level of rigor that they would use to try to keep people from getting infected would be very, very high. And I just come back to these guys walking into the swamp unprotected. And surprise, surprise, one of the guys in the previous group appears to have been, you know, in a bad way. And and he has now snakes for intestines or whatever. Yeah, which is not what you want. And, and you know, and, and like, uh, there's actually there's actually a job at NASA called Planetary Protection Officer, uh, whose nice. who's entire role is what you're describing, right? Is, is to, it's, it's mostly to protect other planets from Earth, because uh, we I was gonna more say, things that way. Right. Um, and, but, and it, we know... but it also covers the other way around. Yeah, I just I just want to point that out for anybody who doesn't who doesn't understand. Like we know we have life here on Earth, so when we go to Mars or the the acid test is going to be Europa, right? Because when we go and put a probe on the surface of Europa, it's going to be really really important that we do everything we possibly can to sterilize that probe before it leaves Earth. Because uh, you know if you have uh, spores, you know there are certain there are certain uh, uh, spores, biological spores that are really, really resilient, right? Anthrax spores, isn't it? Anthrax spores can take like just an absurd temperature range and pressure range and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So you want to make sure you don't have anything biological when you go to Europa. Um, one, because for the obvious reasons, you don't want to contaminate any ecosystem that you're going to. But the other is, if your probe is sent to detect life and you detect the life that you brought with you on your probe, then you're just doing a bad job. So yeah. that's what that that planetary what do you call it planetary protection officer planetary protection officer yeah cool yeah. and there's so, yeah, there's whole yeah there's whole there's whole standards you can go and read on NASA's website there it's uh it's good stuff um so okay so there's no planetary protection officer uh, but what we do have is Natalie Portman and her uh, microscope uh, that she brought with her um, so uh, let's see so moving moving along uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, dead guy with snakes for intestines, uh, and they go and seek out where this video was taken, and lo and behold, uh, the dead guy splattered on the wall of, uh, of the swimming pool, uh, and again, with no no personal protective equipment whatsoever, uh, Dr. Natalie Portman is going in there uh, with her fingers and kind of grabbing chunks of, of splattered dead guy uh, off of him to do science to it. Um, you know, put it under a microscope and see how weird it looks. And uh, it looks weird. The cells are 
still dividing and looking weird and shimmery and stuff. Um, at one point in here, we, we have this like really pessimistic piece of exposition uh, from Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, psychologist, um, where she's she's being asked, you know, why are why are we all on this suicide mission? Why did we all sign up for this? And she said, well, we're not we're not really committing suicide here. We're just like almost all of us are here to self destruct. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's, it's not clear with the way that she says it, whether she's describing like all of humanity, uh, as being self-destructive, uh, which, which, which I think is, is maybe her view of it, uh, or whether it's really just about this particular team, but that is kind of what we, what we end up seeing, uh, and, and the folks that, that don't make it through. Let's see. So we've got, uh, we've got a bear, bear shows up briefly, uh, grabs, uh, this was Cass Shepard, uh, played by Tuva Novotny. Um, she just sort of gets disappeared by the bear and dragged off into the darkness. In After... a scene where, once again, you sort of wonder why people don't just start shooting. Uh, it's in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a little unclear what's going on. But this is that classic. Like, when you have five people and there's a malevolent alien presence, like, go out in groups of two or three is 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 going to be my advice uh not each person go in a cardinal direction and see what happens yeah yeah and that's maybe you know some of that self-destruction that we see right because the very next scene after we leave uh after we leave this army base is we're going off to follow the bear uh uh and natalie portman says uh no don't come with me i'm gonna go i'm gonna go by myself um Right, completely, and... utterly inexplicable. <laughs> Just like one hundred percent. You know, and I thought to myself, "This is going to be. She's going to see something, and then they're not going to believe her." This is a plot uh, requirement so that there can be a conflict later about what she saw. And lo and behold, there was. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, right, she finds she finds the, the dead body of Tuva Novotny. Her throat's been torn out, not eaten by the bear, just throat's torn out, and. Um, Comes back, says, yeah, yep, she's dead. And so they keep moving. Um, and they are actually moving towards the coast, um, right? So they they didn't they didn't start on the coast uh, for whatever reason, but uh, they do have the, uh, the stroke of genius that, yes, in fact, you should just find the coast and then follow that to the lighthouse because that's where the lighthouses are. They're on the coast. Always, pretty much. It's, it's a good place to put them. Um, Unless they're on islands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. So we're um, on the way to the coast. There's a little town uh, that they come across, and we find a couple of interesting things in this town, uh, which is overgrown by kudzu and mutant uh, plants and whatever else. As we find these trees in the shapes of people, and so here's another another bit of science that that is I don't know. I thought was actually pretty terrible. Um, we hear from. Um, Tessa Thompson, our physicist, she's describing how, okay, it, it seemed like we don't actually have, you know, we don't have communication uh, with the outside world from here. Uh, we thought that it was being blocked, but it's actually just being refracted. Uh, the and, and she goes on to explain that, well, the shimmer is just refracting everything. It's refracting... It's refracting you and me and our DNA and all of these other things. And, and um, to sort of hear... Uh, someone who's supposed to be a physicist uh, going from describing refraction of light and radio waves, which is the thing that exists, and that's the mm-hmm. thing that waves do. Right. Um, physicists to... mean a certain thing when they use the word refraction. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then describing uh, DNA being refracted, um, which is not a thing that, that, that happens. You could maybe have an image, maybe, of DNA, right? If you were bouncing, um, you know, whatever you use to, to image DNA, bouncing that off of a surface, and then it got refracted. And, but, like, the DNA itself is not refracting, uh, being refracted. Um, I have to say, the image of these people as plants... I thought was lovely. Before oh, yeah. we get to the the nonsense, uh, I thought the 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 image was beautiful, and it actually to me seemed like a callback to the uh, horrible uh, shadow images from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm. where you had people who were you basically got a snapshot image of people uh, from the instant of the explosion because uh, people blocked some of the i think the way that it worked is their bodies blocked uh some of the thermal pulse right so the walls like you know paint and wood and stuff like that that was exposed to the thermal pulse which in a small fission warhead is the largest part of the energy um uh, it left a shadow right so you had these images of sha- of people's shadows on walls of buildings and uh and i thought this was a visual callback to that hmm. in the yeah. poses that the people were in right yeah they sort of you know they're they're kind of in in media res right they're sort of in the middle of doing something and then they're turned into a plant and then we get some other mumbo jumbo explanation of um oh well if you if you sequenced if you sequenced these uh these plants you would find human hox genes because that's the reason why they are shaped like humans uh and that's also kind of not how how hox genes work um like the hox gene is there to help the body like put the parts in the right places um like once they're there then they're there uh yeah this is just a scientific uh somebody put scientific words in a blender and then yeah. the words came out the far side and they strung them together in ways that sounded to a non-scientific person remotely plausible yeah so we got the cool trees um that look like people and so we have it, more evidence that people are directly affected by the shimmer if you didn't yeah. You know, if you didn't pick up on that by the guy with snakes for intestines, uh, you get it now. The shimmer is definitely affecting people. And then, you know, two nanoseconds after that, you see more direct evidence of that. Right. And we end up going actually inside uh, a house, right, to spend the night. And it's it's made clear through the flashbacks to, to Natalie Portman's life before this is that is that this is her house. Um, it's some somehow, uh, again, in, inexplicably, um, whether... Whether the shimmer picked picked this out of her brain, whether it came out of Oscar Isaac's brain, or like who knows, right? It's not even explained, and she doesn't really comment on it either. Um, like because no one actually comments on anything no, in this film. It's like, not really. hey guys, this is really weird. This is this place looks exactly like my house. Uh, right. It's kind of strange. Right. Um, like you know, and like they you know they make observations about other things, like you know, look at these flowers over here, or you know, there's shark teeth in this alligator um but not like this is my house why is my house here um right guys i have to tell you the weirdest thing this is my house yeah maybe maybe the shimmer is somehow using like it would be helpful to tell your teammates the shimmer uh appears to be materializing uh things from my consciousness how weird is that that's weird tim i promise you if you and i were in a scientific expedition and somehow my hi- my house here in Issaquah showed up wherever we were. Let's say we were in Tibet, and we turn around a corner, and my house is there. 
I tell you, I'm just going to tell you right away. Look, that's my house. That would, uh, yeah, that would that would be weird. Um, I feel like I'd be keeping kind of it from you if I didn't share that with you. I feel like I wouldn't be doing my part of the of the mission, right? But I don't think anyone in this. I mean, there's just this crazy. Uh, nobody really does their mission in a sense. I guess Jennifer Jason Lee kind of does and natalie portman sort of kind of does mm. but you know people don't shoot their guns when they should they don't tell other people stuff that they need to know when it occurs i mean people just aren't really results oriented in this in this group they just experience yeah. things yeah i think weirder. i mean I've, I've heard this this movie described as being sort of dreamlike maybe um but uh i actually read somebody mentioned this movie on twitter today um and she she said something like, uh, "Now that I've experienced mushrooms for the first time, I want to rewatch Annihilation." Um, <laughs> and and I think that's actually a, a a reasonable or maybe I don't know about reasonable, but but certainly a more apt kind of explanation is that it, some of it does feel hallucinogenic, um, right? We have people who are they have their own motivations, they're kind of in their own heads, they're slow to respond, they're you know they're they're reacting to things that may or may not actually be there. Um, and so the way that they engage with the world is, is going to be out of step uh, with what's what's actually happening around them. Um, I have to say this gets at a certain thing. I feel like people love to slather ambiguity onto science fiction films. I feel like uh, as people make science fiction films in recent years, uh, it's just it's really hip to put as much ambiguity as you can. Like everybody watched 2001 and they had their minds blown by the post-monolith David uh, Bowman scenes and what does it mean and what does the hotel mean and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so people just slather ambiguity onto movies and it just drives me nuts. Like, I can get, if if the shimmer has affected you and, you know, metaphorically or literally you're not the same person you were when you went in, okay, fine. But uh, I, I just, I feel like, it's a poor man's tool that people go to. It's like, well, let's try to make everything as ambiguous as possible. And I come back to comparing this to Solaris. Well, I'll come back to it because I want to I want to get to the point where we get to the end of the film. We're talking about what it all means. And I'll, I'll bring it back sure. to Solaris. But I think Solaris does better with its ambiguity. But Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK, so so right. So everybody's sort of, you know, on their own mission. Um, we, the the team is has been fracturing uh, i think with the loss of one of their team members it's fractured even further um and uh then uh gina rodriguez's character uh flips out and knocks everybody unconscious ties them to a chair uh just in time for uh, a creepy ghost bear to show back up again at the worst possible moment exactly and and, sh- and she's having is she, is is she the one where her fingerprints are changing as she's her fingerprints at are changing yeah there's like stuff moving under her hands it's real creepy looking yeah it's all bad right i mean bad things are happening the decrepitude of this of these people is accelerating right yeah 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 so whatever whatever the shimmer's doing to them it's it's happening um we're we're beginning to see it um we also get you know, so there's there's this like these sort of weird sort of like body horror, almost Cronenberg kind of mm-hmm. things happening to all these people. And then we also get uh, this tattoo, this Ouroboros tattoo that shows up on on a number of the characters. Uh, you see it on Natalie Portman at the end of the movie. Um, I can't remember which I think Gina Rodriguez ends up with it at, at one point, which it seems like to me that sort of stands out right? is like, you know, the like 
the weird like like biological body horror thing like fits with this kind of strange thing that fell from space the the tattoo is like that's a that's a human created thing yeah right, right? It's, right it's very clearly like someone has gone and gotten this ouroboros tattoo it's like nice line art um and it's it's never uh, again never explained never really talked about doesn't come up um it's not like hey guys where this tattoo come from um right i'm pretty sure i didn't have a tattoo when i got here yeah so yeah it's just it's just there it just shows up um so let's see uh so the bear bear shows up bear is uh the bear actually has tuvo novotny's voice uh sort of screaming uh instead of the, the bear doing bear noises, um, which is uh, I thought was super creepy. Super creepy. Uh, mm-hmm. Possibly the most effective scene in this movie. Very scary. I have a high bar for scary stuff in movies, and I thought it was the whole thing was very scary. So my my favorite part about this scene uh, is not actually in the scene itself. It's what happened to me while I was watching this movie in the theater. Yeah. Um, it's right in the middle of the, this bear scene. Uh, the fire alarms go off in the theater that I'm that I'm watching it in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it was like it was. I think I had like taken the Friday off of work, so it was the middle middle of the afternoon on a Friday. So the theater was mostly empty, and and so uh, we're all just sort of like sitting there going like, I guess I what guess the, the fire alarm's going off in the theater. I guess we all have to leave now. Uh, and so it was very. Uh, I didn't actually get to see the end of the movie until oh. uh, it it came out uh, on. Uh, on iTunes later later in that year, um, so I sort of like I was stuck with the first three quarters of the movie ending in that creepy scene uh, for a good couple of months until I could buy it and watch it at home because uh, it was not in the theaters for very long. Right, right. It, I think it was not considered a big success. I think uh, it was considered no, no. an artistic success, but not a commercial it, success. It uh, yeah, it lost money. Um, so wow, right at the right at the crescendo of yeah. of the. <laughs> Of the movie, well, maybe not the crescendo of the no, movie, but no. a a a particularly intense moment. Yes. Yeah, a certainly a turning point. Um, so all right, so the bear, uh, bear attacks. Um, it uh, ends up uh, killing uh, Gina Rodriguez. Um, again, not eating her, just sort of tears her face off. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, um, and is then dispatched by I think Tessa Thompson. Uh, kills it with her giant rifle again. Gun, if there's any gun people listening to this, I don't, I don't know about guns, so don't, don't come at us. Um, I, I think, I think big automatic rifle is sufficient. I mean, it's yeah. probably an M16, um, sure. but who knows, right? It's yeah. a, it's a fully automatic assault rifle. Let's just yeah. say that for the, <laughs> yeah. for, for the gun aficionados at home. It's, it, yeah, it's a big, big gun. Standard military issue, semi-automatic. Yeah. Or, um, or, or fully automatic, actually. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think after this, I think. Uh, if if that didn't redeem Tessa Thompson, um, uh, who's who's an amazing actor uh, in in her own right, uh, if that didn't redeem her, um, it I think the the next scene really does. Um, we can sort of forget all the weird exposition about refracting DNA um, because she describes that you know a bunch of uh, you know the rest of the crew, the rest of this team is like, you know you you know, you want to fight it. Um, the Jennifer Jason Lee wants to go and like understand it or beat it or whatever. Um, and she's like, I got something else in mind. And she wanders off into the distance and turns into a tree, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of beautiful. Yeah. She just accepts whatever is happening. She's okay with it. Yeah. And, and you know, if anyone's, if anyone's going to go turn into a tree, uh, why not Tessa Thompson? I think it's why a great not? fit Indeed. for her. Yeah. And she's you've fantastic. seen, 
you've seen Sorry to Bother You, right? I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's so good in that. That's actually yeah. my favorite movie of hers, I would say. Um, she's yeah. so good in that as the performance artist. Uh, okay. Um, all right. So, uh, so can we, we skip ahead to the lighthouse? Let's get Is to the there... lighthouse. Let's go to the lighthouse. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So we're, we're at the lighthouse. Um, finally. Finally. Uh, finally, we're at the lighthouse. An hour right? and 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, um, in the lighthouse is another video camera, which having having used a lot of these kinds of like little handheld video cameras about five or ten years ago for, for various projects, uh, my very first question was, how does it still have charge on the battery? Mm-hmm. Um, my, yep. my use case for these has been like, use them for a short period of time and then stick them in a drawer somewhere with a fully charged battery, and then you come back six months later and the thing's dead. Yep. Um, so... Especially given the manner of its use in this particular case, there's no <laughs> chance that someone went and safely yeah. prepped it for long-term storage. Yeah, yeah, you, do, you don't get the sense that this lighthouse had uh, operating AC power to begin with, uh, right. if one wanted there's... to charge one's batteries, yep. uh, but it certainly doesn't now. And this is the Gulf Coast, so everything would be covered in you know mold or fungus by this point because yeah, or, you know, or rust or all 90, of the above 99 humidity you yeah. know all, all, all year long um so what is uh what do we see on film here um we see we see actually we see another of this these uh sort of hiroshima images um right um she sees uh, before she plays the video um she sees this uh rather rather toasty looking skeleton uh sitting sitting down with this blast behind it and that's what's on the video, is Oscar Isaac uh, doing this to himself with a phosphorus grenade. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I don't know anything about it. I didn't bother to look up what a phosphorus grenade is or how it actually works. Um, so we'll just go with it. I don't know. Um, I think they burn very hot, right, is the thing. And, and they also yeah. keep burning. Right. So once it's burning, you're just you're cooked. Right. It's just not going to stop burning. Yeah. I think I think we have we have uh, some mutual friends who who who, uh, experiment with this sort of thing uh, with metals that like to burn very well. Um, And uh, and yeah, once they start, it's it's like a it's like a can of Pringles. You just can't stop. Um, Nope. You have to really want to be dead. If you detonate a phosphorus grenade uh, in your lap, which is what happens, that is not a cry for help. That no, is, he's, uh, he's very he calm about it. He does not want to exist it. anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's very calm, very detached again. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but then, right before we get to the end of the video, uh, there's another Oscar Isaac uh, right there, and so we're left sort of wondering which which one was the real. Oscar Isaac, and which one was something else? Were, were we were we wondering? I kind of I felt like it was super I, obvious at that. Well, point. by the time you get to the end of the movie, yeah, it's yeah. No, but even at that point, here, I'm like, yeah. oh, well, the yeah. reason that this guy's acting so strange when he comes back out of the shimmer not, later is it's not Oscar. It's not Oscar. Isaac. Yeah, it's not the not the dude. Um, so we go under the lighthouse because there's a hole in the lighthouse, and that's what you do. Yeah, you this and... meteor went into the lighthouse and bored down into the ground. So you go into the lighthouse, and there's a hole inside the lighthouse that goes down into the ground some distance, you know, 30, 50 meters, something. And it's uh, it's it's almost it's a little bit 
we were, we were talking about Alien early, earlier. Um, I, you know, I thought it looked a little bit sort of of, of Giger-esque, just in terms of this sort of like very black space with kind of uh, looks sort of like the inside of a um, uh, inside of a larynx almost, just with like you know ribbing on the walls and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, not quite as uh, as phallic as a H.R. Giger. Uh, no, or, or vaginal, or vaginal, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but it's clearly things have been happening over the last year biologically mm-hmm. around there. It's not just, you know, uh, it's not just the physics of having a meteorite plow into the ground, right? There's yeah. weird things are happening and we're at the epicenter now of the weirdness. Right. And we find uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, who has found her way down there first. Um, and we should mention that she gets split up from the rest of the group earlier. Right? Yeah. She decides to go her own way. Yeah. She, uh, good leader that. Yeah, yeah. She she got what she wanted out of everybody else and then said see ya. Um and uh once she's there, I think she she basically uh glow vomits herself inside out. Um as one as, does in yeah, these situations. Yeah. Somehow uh all of the glow vomit that was Jennifer Jason Lee turns into uh some kind of cool looking thing on screen. It looks like maybe something that was intended to be like a hyperdimensional hole in space time i don't know Um, or 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 this is where things get explicitly vaginal right this could be a giant space vagina birthing something i mean uh i get a real uh uh, fecundity vibe off of this thing right this is a uh this is the birthing of something into something right jennifer jason lee is becoming something then that something is going to become something else and it's it's beautifully rendered though Oh, yeah. um, it's not, yeah. you know, when you say, when I say it's maybe a little vaginal looking, we're not talking like Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, orchid photos, right? It's, it's just this, uh, it's, it's, it's even hard to describe, actually. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a very beautifully rendered, uh, unearthly thing that is clearly nothing related to anything terrestrial. Yeah, it's sort of a, you're right, it's, it's very kind of womb-like, I think maybe sort of like a glam womb, right? It's very, like, shiny and, and, uh, and rainbowy and, and everything else. Um, and it does, it does birth, it creates this, um, this real shiny creature thing. And by the way, a drop of blood, right? Natalie mm-hmm. Portman, has it come from her eye? I don't remember where yeah, it comes from. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere around her eye, yeah. Yeah, so somehow a drop of blood f- goes from her horizontally uh, into the space womb, uh, which begets a shiny creature. Yeah, and this this creature reminded me of, of actually there was this uh, like ni- early nineteen nineties um, CG demo film called Beyond the Mind's Eye, and uh, it was kind of the first first place that I saw a lot of like like really good like hyper hyper realistic computer graphics, and there's a lot of this kind of like uh, you see pieces of it in, in the Lawnmower Man actually, mm. and uh, the sort of terrible movie from early nineties also, um, and is it, uh, is it a terrible just, like, movie? Oh, it's I, I know a lot of people that yeah. liked it. Okay. Yeah, um, I thought it was terrible. Uh, but it's but got yeah, Matt Frewer, right? That's what I know about it. Yeah, we have to yeah. we have to like Matt Frewer, but anyway, uh, I guess and Pierce, Pierce Brosnan. Um, but uh, but this this like when you first see this creature, it looks very like like CG, right? It's it's very um, you know T one thousand like Terminator um, shiny creature kind of thing, and the creature sort of follows her around, is mirroring all of her actions. They get into a fight. It's it's not clear if it's trying to stop her, if it's trying to be her, uh, a little of both. 
Um, it's trying to understand her yeah. or more successfully mimic her. Its motivations are extremely unknown. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, again, this this movie is is does not have much in the way of of exposition, um, even even when Benedict Wong is is questioning her at the end. There's no real explanation as to what she's thinking as she's fighting this thing as she's trying to get out but obviously she's trying to leave the lighthouse ultimately we we find um i guess this is a uh sort of a uh, chekhov's phosphorus grenade so if you if you see a phosphorus grenade go off at the end of uh, the beginning of the third act of the movie it should go off again at the end of the third act of the movie i think as well if you have two phosphorus grenades yeah. and one of them goes off and the other is still in the scene yeah you, you need to have it go off before the end of the movie and yeah. lo and behold it does yeah so um uh again the motivation of this creature is not very clear she sort of hands off the phosphorus grenade to it. Who knows if it actually understands what it is or what it does, um, if it had any connection to the other creature that copied Oscar Isaac earlier on. But yeah, once it uh, it doesn't, it isn't immediately immolated um, because it's made out of whatever it's made out of. Uh, but it does catch on fire, uh, distracts it long enough for, for her to escape. Uh, and then it kind of, crawls back into the hole from whence it came and burns the whole lighthouse down. And not just the lighthouse, because there's these crystal trees that are growing nearby. And somehow the crystal trees catch on fire as well. So you see the lighthouse burning and there's no visible flame um, except right at the lighthouse. But then all of a sudden these trees that are, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 meters away start burning as well. And uh, yeah, and it's a de ex machina, right? It's Mm -hmm. a... And then somehow the whole shimmer was affected by going to the source. It's very much the Independence Day and Independence Day resurgence theory that if you go in and you get the master node, you know, if you kill the the alpha zombie, the master, or not uh, the master vampire, right? Yeah, All the other yeah. vampires die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You kill. You, yeah. You kill Paul Rubens uh, and the rest of uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, vampires die off. Right. Or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. Which is not at all how biological things usually actually work, uh, unless they're actually hive creatures. Um, and who the heck knows what any of this means? But yeah, everything burns, and uh, I'll let you. I'll let you continue. Uh, yeah, and you know, right? It's sort of intended to maybe look like there was some sort of underground connection of alien bits that are now gone, uh, and they got burned out. And nothing else did, and so. Um, we find ourselves uh, back, back with Benedict Wong being questioned uh, once again, and he kind of explains, "Yeah, we went, we went back to the lighthouse. Our team just got there minutes ago, or whatever, and uh, it's all burned up. Presumably, and the shimmer's gone. Shimmer's, the shimmer's gone. gone. Shimmer's yep. gone. Everything's fine. Um, no mention of what happened to like the mutated creatures. Right. Um, like, right. be like, hey, we got a, we got a swamp full of like alligator sharks over here. We need to deal with." Um, like that seems like a problem. Some um, giant homicidal man bears. Yeah, um, but uh, no, no mention of that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we're sort of uh, we're left with this. Um, you know, we're we're told by Oscar Isaac, right? So she goes and 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 sees her husband, purportedly her husband, and and just straight up asks him, and gets a straight answer of like, finally, are, yeah, yes, are you are you Kane? And he's like, nah, I'm not really. Um, I think he says, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, 
Yeah, is which is as close to a straight answer as, as anybody this gives movie. this movie. Yeah, this is an um, extremely direct exposition by this movie's standards. Yeah, yeah. And and as far as far as Natalie Portman goes, um, you know, right before that scene, there's there's um, uh, I, I thought a really neat bit of cinematography where um, they like to shoot through water glasses. There's a couple of scenes where like they're shooting through water glasses, and there's a there's a bit of refraction. So you see her with a water glass in front of her uh, her left hand, and her wedding ring her, her uh, ring finger is refracted uh, through the glass. Um, as if like, oh, maybe she's refracted. Is she really, you know, is she still Dr. Lena? Um, and so she doesn't answer when Oscar Isaac asks her the same question, but we get a close-up of both of their eyes at the end, and they all, they both have a rainbow shimmer around them. Uh, and that's what which, we're left with. Which, I mean, her scene with her doppelganger is actually pretty straightforward. Like, we actually yeah. see yeah. her entire interaction with that doppelganger. We see the creation of the doppelganger. We see her fight with the doppelganger. We see her set off the phosphorus grenade. We see the doppelganger go on fire. We see Natalie Portman leaving the building. Like, we actually, there is a, as they would say in the law, a chain of evidence yeah. Um, yeah. as to her existence uh, that would not lead you to believe that she's a doppelganger. Absolutely, Oscar Isaac. Uh, is and I this was a this was another one of those things where it's like what are they trying to say what 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 does the director want us to think uh, I guess that she didn't come out that everybody came out of the shimmer affected right yeah, sure I mean and she's maybe she's not a doppelganger in. but yeah. she's she is changed well of course I mean, of course she would be. I, you know, they would never in the real world. If you believe that there were two people contaminated with unknown biological agents, you would never let them out or see each other or interact with each other ever again, right? You would not. Yeah. You don't yeah. know what's biologically going on with her. What's biologically going on with him? Um, if you have any doubt about her sanity, which they would, given her answers, given her evasive answers to everything and completely unprofessional behavior after coming out of the shimmer. Yeah. And there wasn't, it wasn't like that there was a valedictory uh, attitude by the, by the researchers. They're just very matter of factly talking about the shimmer being gone. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I just, uh, sorry, I just, the, the whole thing, the ambiguity at the end, um, I don't feel was in the service of Solaris had a very specific thing to say. Solaris said, People, we only we don't really know people. We only know them through what we through the images we have of them, through the constructs that we build in our minds about other people, right? I don't really know you, Tim. What I know is that twenty years that we've worked together and you know, the memories that I have of those twenty years and the things I choose to remember, right? I choose to remember mostly the good stuff, right? And uh you know, and, and and the clever conversations, right? And I don't, and I don't remember. You know, I'm an optimistic person. So anyhow, that's what Solaris does. I have no idea what this movie is trying to say about people or memory or anything, right? I, I don't, I, I don't have any idea what this director is trying to say about anything. Can you, can you tell me what he was trying to say? Hopefully, um, you know, I think uh, there's some, there's some discussion of of self-destruction i think in here there's some discussion of of like you know people being you know being able to be single-minded in in their pursuit of that sort of thing i think there there's 
they set up, I think, in particular, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. And, and again, I'm trying not to read too much from the from the books because it's sort of a different character in the books. Um, but but that's sort of like part of part of it. Um, and I don't know. The rest the rest I think is just sort of like I I enjoy the mystery of it. I think the the part the thing that the thing the one thing that I'm pretty sure that it is saying is that alien life, if it ever does come to visit us or if we ever find it somewhere else, uh, could potentially be as like thoroughly unknowable and and like completely like non understandable to end like to any frame of reference that we have, um, and and we're just gonna have to deal with it. Uh, and that's that. I think that's the one the one message that does come across pretty clearly to me in this film. And that it actually shares with Solaris. And I want to talk about that for a second. So I played Traveler when I was a kid. Did you play Traveler? I don't think so. Traveler is a role playing game like D anD D, except it takes place in the future. And there's six major races in the galaxy, and humans are only one of the six. But uh, one of them is a entirely alien creature called the Hivers, and that's just the human term for them. Um, and they are basically five, they have a five axis symmetry. They live in the ground or they, they evolved underground. And the way they reproduce is hivers are asexual. And when two hivers come meet each other, they shake hands, which is actually a transfer of biological material. Each one is giving the other, uh, for lack of a better word, sperm. Um, and so what's happening is polyps develop on the hivers and they just fall off the hivers wherever they are. And it's very important for the hivers to live near a forest because what happens is the polyps head off into the forest and 95% of the polyps or grubs or whatever you want to call them, like 95, 99% of them die. But the ones that come back out of the forest are welcomed into the hiver community. But the hivers don't do anything for the outbound ones, the ones that are going off into the woods. They don't do anything at all. They don't. They just ignore. They completely ignore the existence of these little grubs that are headed off into the woods, because until they've survived their time in the woods, there's no use having any interaction with them. And the reason that I bring this up is that I've always loved this as an example of human concepts. You know what I think of as the Star Trek concepts, right? The concepts that. Uh, Kirk and Picard are always lecturing everybody about, mm-hmm. you know, freedom and independence and honor and love and compassion and duty and all this stuff like none of it would have any meaning, right? If you didn't form human style families, right? If you didn't raise your young, if you didn't have even sexual interaction between creatures, right? If reproduction was independent of any uh, intention or or whatnot, right? I mean, just all your concepts would be so different. And this is for a creature that's fundamentally, you know, you could imagine a creature on Earth evolving with this sort of biology, right? This is this isn't even presupposing some of the some of the stuff that we see in this movie that looks like it's hard to explain with with classical physics, right? So I this idea of the unknowability of alien intelligence, I think, is a really, really, really interesting concept. And I think Solaris explores it. I think you're right. I think this movie attempts to explore it a little bit. But I can't even tell. Like, one of the things I wanted to ask you about this movie is, do you think there's an intelligence behind the Shimmer? Because I can't tell. Like, there definitely is in Solaris, right? The planet is one giant intelligence. And it's, and it's, 
interacting with humans in ways that we don't understand. We don't even know why it's doing anything that's doing, but it's clearly interacting with humans for its own for its own reasons. I can't tell if the shimmer if there's an intelligence behind the shimmer. Yeah, I think um, probably. Um, again, it's like you know these concepts, right? Don't necessarily don't, like don't even make sense. Um, I think in, in the way that the the sort of alien life, uh, alien visitor is being uh, shown to us. Um, I think the best sort of closest thing we get to that is is at least mimicry, um, right? And and like mimicry of behavior, and and to me that at least demonstrates some kind of intelligence and. In, um, in order to just sort of like physically mimic um, someone's someone's movements, but maybe not. Maybe maybe that's one of the great things. One of the great things about the early and alien the early alien movies is they played their cards really close to their vest on how smart the aliens were. <laughs> right? They clearly face huggers. They showed by the third movie, where in the third movie a face hugger that implants on a dog results in an alien that's quadrupedal. And not bipedal um so we clearly show that the aliens um their morphology has to do with the host creature right so there's a form of mimicry going on mm-hmm. right does that mean that the alien uh that the xenomorphs that uh implant on a human are smarter than the ones that implant on a dog or that would implant on a you know whatever right maybe yeah yes um but they so they do a nice job in that so mimicry doesn't necessarily imply intelligence right if you're mimicking a thing that's intelligent and you come up with something intelligent um that doesn't necessarily imply intelligence right yeah yeah and that's sort of where that like the question doesn't necessarily make sense uh in in the context of this creature uh or this whatever it is um yeah Yeah, again if even creatures is the right word right is it is it just a uh, effect some sort of effect that is not uh you know you can have obviously you can have chemical effects on organic tissues that are not organic themselves you get down to prions and you get you know is a prion just a piece of chemistry or is a prion a a subset of a of an of a living thing right uh, it's like the virus question taken even further yeah. right anything smaller than a you carry it, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it living or is it just, you know, a particularly uh, unfortunate combination of chemistry, right? I do think this movie had, I want want to mention in this thing about a a meteor bringing in something that would change life on Earth. It actually reminded me of, did you see the Final Fantasy movie? Oh gosh, a long Um, time ago, yeah. Yeah, it was actually, I think it was a good movie. It, it, it was not as, it was, it was wildly ambitious. And it was not as successful as its ambition. It wanted to sort of redefine CG movies. Mm, Remember yeah. its oh, main yeah. character? Yeah. They envisioned having her become the lead character in a whole series of movies, and it, it didn't happen. But that had a meteor that slams into the Earth that forms uh, the center of a weird biochemical thing going on, right? As it happens, it has to do with spirits, right? Of this alien oh, creatures. Yeah, yeah. There's mm-hmm. energy associated with this alien race that had died off. And the alien race is, I think, basically looking for closure on, on what happened to it. And so the, there's, there's some manifestation of the race that's still around. But I, I just use that as an example of, you know, this idea that something comes in and it isn't necessarily, you know, getting to your point about the unknowability of alien intelligence, you know, alien life, you just have no guarantee that it's going to 
we're going to be able to communicate with it at all or that it'll even look like anything like life that we recognize it. And I think both this movie and that, uh, whatever it was called, uh, Final Fantasy, the spirit, spirits, spirits within. within. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, you know, had, had the same idea, right? Something that is a, is an effect, is an impact, um, that we see, um, that's hard to categorize whether that's a, an intelligence or not. And in that movie, I don't think there was supposed to be one central intelligence that was driving everything. It was just this sort of bundle of, of spirits left over from these, this dead alien race. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and you you mentioned earlier, I think that that the sort of like mystery uh, or like non-explanation being slathered on on movies is, can, can tend to be a bit of a a bit of a frustrating trope. Um, I kind of liked where where this one went. Um, I think it's you know it even though a lot of the characters are not super deep. Um, I think it's it's you know this this idea of being presented with a mystery that's never explained. Um, and just seeing what people in different circumstances do with it, um, I think that can be interesting. I also like just the idea that like you just can't understand everything there is to know about a given scenario, um, no matter how hard you try. But I guess I guess my problem is that these people didn't try very. That's hard. true. That's true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly, certainly. If they had tried, yeah. if they had tried really hard and still failed, it would have been sort of poignant. Yeah. Right. But everybody had such a flat affect. Yeah. That it just really leached any sense of their journey out of it for me, right? It's like Natalie Portman's journey. It's just really hard to to figure out. Well, you know, they make the implication at the end that she's not even the same person that she was when she started off. So her journey is really weird. Yeah, right. But at the, at the end, even, you know, she embraces uh, this creature that has taken the place of her husband's right what are we you know what are we to, to take from that right why is you know see i i compare that to solaris and here again i'm going to warn people this is just a big old spoiler for solaris but it's really clear at the end of solaris that both uh the main character and his wife are replacements of the originals right he has wounds that heal magically <laughs> she's come back from the dead you know, and they're both simulations of the original people now living inside the simulation that's being provided by Solaris, right? That's really clear to me, at least. And yet, not and yet, they don't beat you over the head with yeah. it. So I don't know why it has to be so. Why there has to be left with so much ambiguity? I, I just I feel like at some level, it's like a Sudoku puzzle where you don't give enough information for someone to solve the puzzle. I don't know what the benefit is of just giving an unsolvable puzzle and being like, uh, who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not about the puzzle. It's about, uh, I don't know what you, what you do while you're solving the puzzle. I don't know. That was a terrible metaphor. Um, I, I, I think I would have, first of all, I don't think I, I don't think I dislike this movie maybe as much as I thought going in. I still don't like it. I still, I still can't recommend it. Um, but uh, maybe I don't dislike it as much as I thought, and I'm not sure you like it as much as 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 you thought either. I think you you think there are things that you like about it, and but there's things that you agree with me are very weird and don't make a lot of sense. And like this, the 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 super 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 tamped down affect by everybody. I just think it would have been so much more interesting. You could have even had a lot of the ambiguities at the end. The message could have been that you need to be able to live with ambiguity. But all these characters were so flat that you don't get any sense that anybody understood anything that they experienced right nobody in this movie 
started at position A and wound up at position B, right? In yeah. a way that you can say what happened to them between A and B, or even what they're even what they're like at B. Yeah. From A, she was a not talkative, flat affect person when she was one hundred percent human, and she's a non talkative, flat affect person when she's not human. Ditto her husband. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> um, but no, I, I did like the. Uh, I you know sometimes I like an ambiguity uh, in in a movie, um, and uh, I think this one. The, there's another movie that this uh, reminds me of, and we should probably wrap this up here soon. Um, is uh, yeah, yeah. when did this come out? Uh, 2019, uh, Color Out of Space, which was oh, a, yeah. uh, an adaptation of a H.P. Lovecraft story, starring a increasingly unhinged Nicolas Cage. Which is all you need to know about a movie is that it star- stars an increasingly unhinged Nicolas Cage. But similar kind of premise of, of a thing just sort of appears from space and it starts making changes to people and the environment. Uh, and, and it's what, what do people do with that? Um, and that one is definitely more of a just straight up horror movie uh, than this one is. And Do you recommend I, it? Should, I, oh, yeah. I it? Yeah. It's, uh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, I can't remember. There might be. I'll have to look look it up again. There might be something sad that happens to a kid in the movie. You know, I'm better about that stuff now that my kids are older. You know, this is this is a thing for people who don't know. Uh, I used to have a thing where I couldn't watch movies where kids get harmed, uh, and it was when my kids were little, and it was just uh, I just it wasn't worth it to me. Whatever whatever I could gain from the piece of art that I was watching, it wasn't worth uh, the emotional toll that it took to me watching it could get hurt now that my kids are old and strong and and clever and uh tenacious i don't worry so much and so i can uh that would not be a reason for me not to see a film so but thank you thank you for remembering that and considering yeah, that's my, yeah. so shall we shall we talk about should we go to our percent do all right science uh okay so science um you know there's so much of this that's just really like again unknowable unexplainable um so i have to focus on the things that are like scientific that we do see on the screen which is like there's microscopes and there's like blood samples and and uh i guess there's some attempt at biological isolation of certain people um after they come back um but i think it's it's uh you know it's it's not very consistent um and when there is scientific exposition on screen it's uh it's decent to terrible um, and so, uh, I think it all comes down to, uh, refracting DNA. Uh, so for, for that, I think, uh, I think I've got to give it like a, I'll give it a 60%. Um, so that's a failing, a failing grade, but, but not awful. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with 50%. Uh, I felt that, as I said, the idea that I don't think Alex Garland understands the scientific method, or I don't think he's got any friends that are scientists. Uh, in the way that he writes about the way people approach science, uh, so I, I I can't give it better than fifty. Yeah, the the fact that nobody takes any biological precautions, and of course everyone gets biologically contaminated, you know, destroyed. Every single person gets biologically destroyed that goes into the shimmer, including Natalie Portman. So uh, it just makes no sense to me. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it fifty percent. All right, as a work of fiction. Uh, as a work of fiction, um, and again, focusing on the story here, not the story in the book. The book is fantastic. The whole, the whole trilogy is fantastic. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, for me, right, it's about, I like the ambiguity. 
Um, I, you know, some of the characters could have been more fleshed out. Um, but what we do, uh, we do see of them. I, I kind of enjoy enjoy their uh, the relationships that are sort of built and then taken apart on screen. And you know, not amazing story, but I think a good story. Uh, so I'm going to give it a, a solid 80%. Ooh, all right. Well, this is where you and I have the biggest difference uh, of opinion. Uh, I really feel like uh, it was so muddled in terms of character arcs. Uh, I didn't find, not that characters have to be likable, but I certainly didn't find anybody likable in this film. I, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that some of the complaints I have about this movie are probably complaints other people have about Solaris. Um, but at the same time, uh, no, no, just no, I'm not, I, I don't buy the journey. Uh, like I said, uh, I don't, I can't tell what, if anything has changed about any of these characters from beginning to end, other than the fact that they've gone from being humans to simulacrum. So I'm going to give it 30%. Wow. I'm really, wow. I'm really, really, really down on the, uh, it, the, 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 the story, uh, characterization. Okay. Uh, in the movie. So, and we knew, we yeah. knew that you and I were going to, we're going to be different. <laughs> uh, as a film, as opposed to a book, and this is really interesting because you've read the book mm-hmm. as well. Um, as a, as a film, um, I, yeah, I love this film. Um, this is probably, probably, um, one of, one of my favorite science fiction movies of the 2010s. It's just, it, it's a beautiful film. Um, I think the way the way that it portrays and sort of slowly slowly shows us uh, all of the weird things that are happening um, inside the shimmer, the just the way that the things are portrayed, all the the mutations, uh, both both beautiful and ugly, um, I think they're all fantastic and just a wonderful use of of film as a medium. I was trying to look up who did the the soundtrack because it also has this kind of kind of repeating uh kind of guitar piece throughout um that kind of gives you this again this kind of sense of kind of being out in the swamp and and things are a little creepy but also like kind of i don't know vaguely welcoming too um so i'm gonna give it uh i'm gonna give it a 95 on film all right 95 percent uh this is a well shot film uh, it has very it has interesting things going on visually. I had no problem uh, with it visually. It's you know if I saw if I was on the airplane and somebody was watching it behind me in the aisle uh, or you know in front of me and I was looking over the shoulder, I would absolutely want to see it and understand what the heck is going on. Um, uh, I don't know if I I, I would not put it ninety five percent, but I will give it much higher than everything else seventy five percent. So. Because I, I do think it's worth seeing visually. I just think people should go in with a low expectation about any of it making sense <laughs> or any of the character arcs representing anything that actual humans would see or do. So uh, so that gives us net scores of 55% for science, 55% for fiction, and 85% for film, knowing that we have a serious spread on the fiction side of it, right? A serious, serious difference of opinion uh, about how well the, the fiction part of it works. If I never see another movie where characters slowly ask questions of other characters that don't get answered, I would be fine. <laughs> I, I feel I've gotten more than enough of this uh, in, in this movie to last me a long time. All right. Last but not least, what are we going to do next? You have a master list. You have asked 
some of uh, some of our listeners what they would like, or at least your friends, if not. Let's not, let's give assume we're going to assume that they've been listening to. Let's the show. assume. Why not? Um, what do they? Uh, what What do they want us to? All right. Uh, I'm going to go cover. So let's see here. Short list here. Um, I'll just rattle these off. These are in no particular order. Uh, contact, alien, arrival, the Martian, gravity, Snowpiercer, District Nine, and two thousand one. I am inclined to say Snowpiercer or the arrival i have not seen the arrival it is the number one thing that i've wanted to see that i haven't seen and i don't even know how i haven't managed to see it i love amy adams uh so i'm eager to see it uh i have seen snowpiercer and i think it's an extremely challenging film uh that i'm e- that i would be eager to talk about so either one of those would be t- would top my list so um well you sound uh excited about seeing arrival so i'm gonna give you an excuse to watch it let's do arrival next all right. Sounds good. And with that, I think we're done. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show and keep watching science fiction films. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Monty Hall Effect. People ask us, will Antonio Banderas and Christian Bale be playing you and Tim in the movie version of the Monty Hall effect? Only if the fans demand it. Only if the fans demand it. Our musical themes were written and performed by Guy Ellis. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or questions about the podcast, you can contact us or find out more about us at the Monty Hall Effect podcast page on Buzzsprout. Thanks, and keep watching science fiction films. Thanks.